What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. So, we'll see if I can do this without pissing off the phone and then screwing up the connection to the headset. Uh, Okay, so we're going to start off this morning by going back here real quick and giving a much appreciated shout out to our newest Patreon members. So, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Stephen M., Jeffrey Ann, and Laura R. Thank you so much for going through and joining us out there on Patreon. That is greatly appreciated. Hopefully you have found lots of entertaining and educational information out there to help you along on your beekeeping journey, and there's more stuff to be added as time goes on, so it will continue to grow. But thank you so much for going out there and joining us on that. Now then... There's So there's some listener questions and some things that I was going to kind of bounce around into here for this episode, but we're also, we're in the middle of the summer dearth. Yes, we are. And yeah, that means, that means a lot of things. It means, you know, it's hot. It means there's not a lot of food out there, especially down in the southern states, like southern uh, central Texas, mm-hmm. um, very specifically like that. Now, in other areas, if you're closer to the Gulf Coast, then, you know, there may be more tropical flowers or more or more flowers anyway, because it's more humid, you get more rain, you know, things like that. But for us, we're in the summer dearth and that can actually extend up into Oklahoma, um, potentially parts of Kansas, depending on if it's the west side or the east side. Um, and then, you know, the other states like some of Colorado is going to be the same way. So depending on your area, that that could mean a lot of different things. But Basically, for everybody out there, homework that you all can do is to go back to season one because this is kind of the the fun thing or the nice thing about beekeeping is once you've learned a set of skills or once you've made it through a year, the majority of your stuff for the next year is going to be basically wash, rinse, and repeat. So you can redo the same things and you can build on the knowledge that you've had from the past. So if you're not exactly sure what the summer dearth means or if you're going through and you're doing hive inspections and you find that there's no brood or you think you've lost your queen, then your homework is to go back to season one of the podcast and pull up episode number 16, which is titled Summer Dearth, and listen to that episode because that's going to give you all of the details and information about the summer dearth, what to expect, what you should be doing, and then also look at episode number 18, which is, did I lose my queen? So episode 16, Summer Dearth, and episode 18, did I lose my queen? Those two episodes are all of the information that pertain to this time of the year and what you should be doing to prepare your colonies, if you should be feeding or not, how much you should feed, what you should feed. All of that stuff is going to be right in there. Um, Sorry. All of that stuff is going to be right in there for your information. So I have to disconnect my phone from the computer because every time somebody sends me a message, my computer makes funny noises. Um, and we don't want that on the show. So let's see. I won't be, be too much uh, offended by funny noises. By the way, good morning, <laughs> folks. How's the family doing? <laughs> 
Yeah, by the way, good morning. Um, my morning is pretty good so far. I am starting off my day with some fresh baked French bread that has raw honey on it from Antigua. Antigua? What's antique? What's antique honey taste like? It's not antique honey. Um, no, it's uh, so Antigua is a tropical place and one of our listeners was down there on vacation and was kind enough to buy a small bottle and ship it to me so that I could go through and try honey from this little tropical paradise. So I've got that on my toast this morning. Um, what did you say? I said, I bet you that's good. It's probably probably a whole lot like the honey that we get from OHC uh, from uh-uh. uh, Hawaii. No, actually. Really? Yeah. So this, the the odd part of this to me, um, it starts off with a very floral note that is, it's, it's a little bit undescribable to me because I don't know what to compare it to, but it, it has a little bit of that like spring taste, at least just a, at the very beginning, right? Then it goes into honey, you know, there's like a summer honey kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. And then it has the strangest finish to it. And this is when you're when you're literally just eating the honey itself, like, you know, just your, a finger full of honey or a spoonful of honey. Um, the finishing note on it is oddly metallic. Really? Yeah, it's oddly metallic. I don't even know what other way to describe it except for it's metallic in nature. So it, it's got a – it hits all of the, the – um, taste buds in a specific region of your mouth and it's 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 almost like when you bite into a lemon how a lemon has that sour reaction and and things kind of tense up in there but it's not a sour reaction it's it's distinctly metallic um so it's very it's very unique it's very interesting and this is the first time i've had it on uh, on toast and it goes pretty goes pretty well on toast nice fresh toasted french bread with some butter um and I got a couple of loaves for you, sir. No worries. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, you know, I'm doing that. I've got me a, a cup of nice hot peach herbal tea over here with obviously there's some honey in that too. So um, I'm going to be wired by the time we make it back to that roof today. <laughs> oh, but anyhow, so, so yeah, so we are in the summer earth and, you know, there are a lot of things that we need to be cognizant of and one of those is obviously feeding because if the colony is not bringing in any food if you look in there and there is not any open liquid but they've got a lot of stores that's kind of the whole point of the stores is for them to have their own food that's more natural for them to feed on during that time of year but if your colony is bigger for a lot of us that went through and did honey harvests you had this colony that was massive and they had all this space and all this honey, and then you took away the honey in the space, and hopefully you left them with one box of solid-capped honey for themselves, and that means that you know they still have their own food store, but there's a lot of bees and a lot of mouths and stuff still to feed, and depending on if they have slowed down their brood production or quit their brood production yet, they've got a little babies that they need to feed too. So they could burn through those capped food stores very quickly. So again, doing your inspections, you go through, you check, you make sure. Um, today I've got nine frames of capped honey, and then I go back next week and I've got seven frames of capped honey. Well, obviously they're going through it, but that's still okay. But when they get down below that 50% ratio, so when it's five frames or less of capped honey, 
that they've eaten through, um, then you need to go ahead and maybe kick in and start feeding them that one-to-one so that they still have a little bit coming in and kind of keep them going and, and keep them happy. Um, a few of the questions, though, that I was going to hit on here real quick, assuming I can find them. Um, oh, oh my God. Okay, so first off, this is not a question, but this, technically there was a question, I should say, but this was hysterical. Um, and I, I loved this so much. So we got an email, a uh, listener question in from Becca. And Becca just made my day. So I'm going to read the first part of this. I'm not going to go into her question um, because it's actually... Well, let me see. Is this the... Uh... Nope. Okay. Her question is actually... We could talk about that. Anyhow, so here here's the opening of this email. And this is why I love this so much. She says, Hi, fellas. Thanks for always making me laugh and for making me or and keeping me company while I'm canning and weeding in the garden. And thanks for just making me crack up. I recently read your bios on your website when I was trying to find the email address so I could send you this message. And I saw that Ken was a striper guide, <laughs> except I read it as stripper guide. <laughs> and then I sat there wondering what the hell is involved with a stripper guide. And then the visions of Ken trying to teach somebody how to do pole dancing is now stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So she says, yeah. So now that's now stuck in your head as well. So we just thought we would share that with everybody so we can all have that mental image stuck in our head. Um, Ken is a professional stripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Professional stripper guide. <laughs> One P in striper, two P's in stripper. Yep. <laughs> but I totally understand that, Becca. I go through I go through, and I, I'll read things too quickly, and uh, my brain will transpose something or throw a word in there, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yep. But yeah, so now you have a new profession. You can add that to your resume. You're a professional stripper guide. But yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know how that how that would begin. Um, I don't know how much echo is going to be in this, but I can. There's a little bit. Ain't pull, bad. Pull this down here. Well, yeah, the recording may be worse because that microphone can pick up a lot more. But I'm gonna drop that down. I had a lot of. Uh, I could hear a lot of reverb. The room uh, adjacent to this is undergoing a transition, and so there's not as much stuff in there to absorb sound. Mm -hmm. um, so I put the curtain down so that it will uh, block some of that, hopefully. Um, anyhow, yeah, so so you're a professional stripper guide, so we got that. We're good. Okay. Um, onward. Oh, I should not put my phone in my hand because that's when I screw things up. Okay. So the different messages that we had out there um, – Becca is basically, she went on to say, uh, her, her whole message was that in essence, she had, she's a first year beekeeper. She's in British Columbia, Canada, and she had purchased two new colonies in the spring. And then her third colony was a swarm that she had captured and she captured it about six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and her question revolved around that swarm. She didn't see the queen initially but she assumed that she must have got her because everybody went marching into the container. And that right there, that is something that I was always taught when I first started. And after doing so many removals and looking at so many different things at the hive, I have decided it's a little bit of a misnomer. So, yes, they will march to the queen. 
But in reality, if you get enough bees to decide that they're going to go in one direction and they put off the little marching pheromone, which actually comes from their legs, everybody's going to follow that, regardless if the bee that started it was correct or not. So if you put a majority of a colony inside of a container, or if you put the majority of the colony's comb inside of a container, regardless if the queen is in there or not, they're going to march in that direction because the other bees are going to start fanning and say, hey, come here, right? Now, again, if the queen is with them and the queen leaves, or if the queen is not with them and they realize that, they will reverse that and they will go out and they'll follow the queen and go up with the queen. But she was stating that, you know, she assumed that the queen was with them because they all went marching into the container. She took them home. She put them in their new hive. She fed them and she left them alone for about two weeks um, so that they could get established and settled and everything. And she expected to go and find eggs and larvae and brood and all that stuff. But when she looked, there was no sign of a queen. There was no sign of any eggs or larvae or brood. And she was curious why they would have stayed if they didn't have a queen. And so I gave her a few different scenarios. And uh, basically, it kind of boils down to the fact that, one, the queen could have been with them but could have been injured or been left behind right there at the time of taking the box, right? And if that was the case, then now they're in a location where they don't know where they are and they don't really know how to get home, so their only option is to just stay and make the best of what they've got. Now, one of the other scenarios is that the queen may have went with them, but she could have been injured or something else could have happened to her and she could have died shortly after getting to the new colony. And if that was the case, you know, they were already there, they were already getting established and then something happens and she's gone. So again, they have no choice but to commit to where they're at. Now, when a swarm initiates from the original colony, if the queen disappears right there within an hour of that happening, they will go back to the original colony. But once they've gone off and they form the bivouac and then they leave and they go form a second one, at that point, it's kind of no longer an option because they will start moving from place to place as they go through and they search. And if she gets lost along the way because of that or because something snatches her in the air while they're flying, they ball up, but they're at that point far enough from home that they may not know how to get back home and they have no choice and they'll just stay there. So the swarm that she found could have already been in that situation where they had already lost their queen, they were banded together, they didn't know what to do or where to go, and when she showed up and provided them, provided them a container, they were just overjoyed that they had a safe place that was enclosed and dark and smelled like bees and could go into it. So that was one of the possible theoretical uh, outcomes of that, and again, it was just a you know, hey, just kind of curious, what could this have meant and what, uh, why, why would they have done that necessarily? So I went ahead and put that in there. Um, and you probably told her in 21 to 28 days they'll go lay in worker, so be sure to watch for eggs and make sure there's only one egg in each cell and not three or four to five. I did not tell her that, but that is great advice. Um, in her situation, when she put them in the box, she went and checked them two weeks later did not see any signs of any queen or anything. So she went ahead and took a frame from one of her other two colonies that she had purchased as nukes, Good. put in there with eggs and larvae, and they did raise their own queen. And and by the time she sent the email, that queen has been out, has been mated, is laying, so it's all good. Um, so this was kind of a, in, in retrospect, um, 
for that really. So another question came in and this one is kind of due to, again, it's really hot. And so this comes from Tim and Tim says hot summer mite treatments. Um, his main thing is, uh, let's see, since it's so damn hot here in South Texas, if we find mites that are over the threshold and we have capped brood, what are we supposed to do and what can we use? Can I use the oxalic acid vaporizer, but I know that it won't penetrate the brood? I can't use formic acid because it's too hot and I don't want to kill the entire colony. Is the strategy just to use the vaporizer to keep them knocked down until it gets cool enough that I can use formic? Um, I'd rather not use any of the synthetic chemicals to contaminate, uh, contaminate the wax. So the... The main essence of this one right here is that if you go through and you do your mite checks, which doing mite checks during the summer dearth is actually a good thing to do because you want to curb those mite levels because they have been skyrocketing as your colony population skyrockets. Well, now your colony population is going to start to decrease, but the mite population is still going to be going up, and that's where everything can run rampant and get really bad, right? So if you go through and you do your mite checks now, and you do find that they're over the threshold and you need to treat, you can't use the formic acid like you mentioned. And you and I last year discovered that even though the, we were within the, the bounds of the temperature constraints and stuff, the apigard, the thymol, had a negative impact as well. You know, it, it chased off a colony and killed a colony. Yep. So it does kind of limit what you can do. And in his case, Doing the the oxalic acid, you can either do a drip method or you can do the vaporization method. Both of those only affect the mites that are on the bees. They don't affect any mites that are underneath the cappings. One of the other options is to do like HopGuard, HopGuard 2, which is still an organic substance. And you put it in there, especially if you have a Langstroth because it's made to drape over the frames and hang down between two of the frames. You can put that in there, but again, it's only a contact method. So what you have to do is you have to treat repeatedly back to back. So like on the hop guard, one strip is a 14-day treatment, and then you turn around and you take that out and you put in another strip and you treat it for another 14 days. You basically treat your colony continuously for an entire month. And that's because as the new brood emerges from the comb, you want to try to catch all those mites and get all of those taken care of before they have a chance to go back down into the cell and you know make another several generations of mice. So you can do those sorts of things and it's better to do that than to do nothing at all, even if it's just a knockback, to go through and kind of help keep them under wraps and keep them under that threshold. And then as the fall approaches and the temperatures get cooler, if you wanted to turn around and do a single formic acid treatment to help, you know, really knock it back and truly get those those underneath the cappings and things like that, then you could do that. But using the hop guard, using the oxalic acid, those types of things can be done now. They're still going to be considered organic. They're not necessarily going to affect the wax. Um, you do need to be careful, though, because you're not supposed to do any of those if you have your honey supers on um, because you don't want to either affect the taste of the honey or get any of the oxalic crystals in the honey. So you, you know, this is assuming you've already done your honey harvest or you will not be doing a honey harvest at all. That's kind of the, the main part of that. So that is Tim's question. Did you guys ever go through and do your extraction yet? No. Nope. Did you build the extractor? <laughs> we got an extractor. I haven't put it together yet. It's been too dang hot. I've got to get it together. 
I got this week. We're gonna get it done. Max is slowing down, and I'm. I he, in fact, he just took a day off. He says we'll put it together the evening before, and then we'll go over and pull those uh, frames out or those two mediums off. And and yeah, when you only got two two supers to do, it's kind of hard to put everything together. So I'm sitting there, okie dokie. So we'll get it done. And they may be it may be their food now. So. Oh, well, if it is, it is. Yeah, it, it, that's true. It could be. It very well could be. Um, as dry as it has been out there. Oh, man. Although we did have a little brush, a little rain last week, I think. Yeah, I think. I noticed there's bee brush blooming, but I don't know how much they're getting out of bee brush. I don't know. I, you know, uh, I thought it would keep them alive through the summer, and I lost a lot of bees, but oh, well. So I'm feeding hard now, and uh, they're eating a the fool out of it. So I'm sure they're storing it, but I'd rather have them store it than starve to death this winter. Very true. You had a question, yeah, about combining things. Yeah, I've got a uh, on one of the rescues we did out of the bird bath. Uh, those bees had moved into the uh, the pipe that was underneath the bird bath. And we got in there, we took, we found the queen, we caught her, moved her, and we put them in an eight frame, had rescue frames in there. Uh, we knocked all those bees off into there. Now, this was in the middle of the day. They couldn't do it early in the morning or late in the evening. So as we were doing this, a lot of foragers kept coming back. Now my brother calls me up, and he says, there's four, five, six, eight hundred bees out there. He said, there's a bunch of bees out there. I said, well, that's foragers that wasn't back because it did come off a big colony and the the rescue was and so uh i'm sitting there thinking okay i need to he's either gonna kill him or i need to go get him out and i was wondering if we're gonna take the top off knock the bees that are in the uh late in the evening or early in the morning what's in the pipe into a box and then we were gonna go take them and I was wondering, I've got uh, a colony that was a swarm from the spring that isn't a huge swarm. It wasn't a big swarm. Even when it came in, it wasn't big. And I've been, I've put it into, took it out of the 10, bo 10 frame trap, put them into an eight frame brood box. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I ought to just dump those bees into that box and my son says max says dad i think i don't think you ought to put those in there that's going to be a bigger bunch of bees that we're going to put in there than the colony that's in the box that'll, that'll probably knock them down so i'm sitting there but they're foragers john says foragers can do whatever they want to do because all they're going to do is be workers anyway so uh, that's why i sent you the text and says is it all right to do that and you is it all right to do that? Well, so there's there's truth on both sides of that. Um, taking a large group of bees that have their own unique identity and scent and putting them in with a smaller colony, those bees could overrun the existing queen and kill her if they don't accept her. So that is one thing right there. But the... So the, the concept of foragers, 
that's that's when you do like the switch of the hives where you take one and you move it to the location of the other. Mm-hmm. Those foragers that are coming back, they are actively foraging and they're coming back to what they thought was their colony anyway because it's in the same location. And as they do that, each trip they make back where they're going through and they're dropping off the food, the other colony happily accepts them because they're bringing in food. Mm-hmm. And they're slowly picking up the scent of that other colony every trip they make back to that location. And so by the time night comes and they end up moving in, they've already kind of gotten a little bit used to, um, or I can't think of the right word that I want to use, but um, acclimated. They've gotten a little bit acclimated to that smell and to that colony. And so you don't have an issue with them trying to go in and and overpower or overrun the queen. Um, Now, in this situation where the bees are in a container deprived from their queen, they're hopelessly queenless at this point, they should be able to be introduced into a new colony and it should be fine because of that scenario. Now, if you did this today, um, if you went out there and you did the removal today and you took the majority of the bees and you put them into one container and then that evening you've got this big ball of bees that was left over that it came back to that location and you were going to go take that big ball of bees tonight and take them and dump them into a new colony, Mm -hmm. that could cause problems because they haven't been removed from their queen long enough. As far as they know, you know, they just went out to the grocery store and they've just gotten home. So nothing's changed to them yet. So if you were to do it then, that could be an issue. But in this case, it's already been at least a week removed. Yeah, a week or two. Yeah, So they've already gone a long time without a queen and they could be getting to the point of like potential laying worker kind of status in there too. So taking them and putting them into another colony that has an established queen, they should be grateful for that. And that other colony should be okay so long as they, you know, those foragers do have the food stores and stuff with them so that they're like not showing up empty handed. Um, It should be okay because... Again, you you're you're putting things together like that. We do that sometimes with removals. Mm-hmm. Um, forced absconds. In a forced abscond, you don't get any of the comb. You don't get any of the brood, and so all you're getting are the adult bees that you can chase out of that cavity within a four to six hour time period. And as we go through and we do that, and we're chasing them all out, and we're we're you know getting everybody out of there. Um, the main kind of thing that you're looking at is you end up with this colony of bees that does not have any stores or any frames, no food, no no nothing, no comb. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, so if it's later in the year and they're already past the season where they're going to be drawing out wax, you kind of end up in a catch-22 where you're like, well, I've got this colony and they don't have anything. And if I don't have any resources to give them, what am I going to do with them? Because they're not going to be able to draw out enough resources to make enough wax to then store enough food to make it through the winter. So we'll go through and we'll find colonies that are smaller, that need a bolstering of bees to help get them going, but already have their own comb and their own resources in there. And we will add those bees to that colony, but we do it a couple of days removed. So we leave them in their containment unit that we've captured them in as we were doing the force of scond. We leave them in there. We feed them so they're they're primed and they've got lots of food, but they can't get out. They're not able to go fly. They're not able to relieve themselves. They're trapped inside that container. So we feed them and we wait a day or two. Then we go through, and when we go to do that initial putting into the other box, 
we do it in such a manner as to look for the queen and we go through it. We mist them down with the cold water. So we would just like kind of a swarm. So they all group up and clump up. And then I go through and I sort through those bees until I find the queen. And I'll take that queen out if I'm planning on keeping the other queen. If I'm not planning on keeping the other queen, then I find her inside the colony and take her out. It just depends on which way we're going to go there. Um, and then I turn around and I put the entire colony into that container and I seal it up. Um, and, I, you know, we've got the queen excluder on the front of it, so they can still come and go but the queen can't get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually that's not an issue because usually we keep the queen that's in the colony, not the one that came from the forced abscond a lot of times because we don't know the genetic lineage of that one. And we can usually tell when we're doing the, the removal too, though, what their, their temperance is and stuff. So like the removal I did yesterday, they were very much not friendly bees. And we knew that before we ever started anything, you know, just putting the ladder up there and getting stung immediately in the hand tells you this is not going to be a good day. So those would have been ones that we would have removed their queen and we would have added them in with the other colony. Um, But again, you know, we gave them a couple of days. We gave them some food, so they're kind of fat and happy. They haven't had any pheromone from their own queen, and then we add them to this existing colony that has a queen. And for the most part, um, you know, nine times out of ten kind of scenario, if you do it and you go slow with it and everything, it ends up working out just fine, and they carry on and everybody's happy. And then you've got a bigger colony, and, you know, you're good to go. Worst case scenario, if there's still eggs in the colony and they do kill the queen, they will make an emergency queen cell. Right. Now, you know, so you could do that um, or you could purchase a queen. Now, one of the other little things about the summer dearth, though, is that because they're slowing down on brood production or some colonies will halt brood production altogether, you may end up in a situation where there are no eggs or young larvae that can be turned into a queen. That can be a problem. Also, if there are and you raise a queen, there may not be a lot of drones out there in the drone congregation areas. It's hot. Some of the colonies have already started weeding out the drones at that time of the year because there is no food coming in. Um, It really just depends on the size and strength of the colony. But And then again, the other thing is if they do successfully raise a queen and she successfully mates, it is a much more perilous journey this time of year than it is in the early spring or in the fall. Because right now, you've got all of these critters that are raising brood of their own, babies of their own. Birds, lizards, spiders, and the giant dragonflies and the robber flies are all very prolific in the deep heat of summer. And, you know, that queen flies a little bit slower and doesn't maneuver as well. So she can be easy pickings. So it can be even harder for her to make it back to the colony at this time of year. So that's the downside to if it doesn't work and all of a sudden there's a situation of I need a queen, you may be in that situation of, well, I'm going to have to purchase one and introduce her in a cage. Um, The other thing, though, speaking of, and this just popped into my head, if that's your only choice is to add these bees to that colony, but you're worried that those bees may not accept that other queen and it's a smaller colony, Go into that colony, catch her, put her into a cage, put the cork in it, hang her back inside there, and then introduce those new bees to the colony. Now you're guaranteed they can't kill her. And you can leave it that way for a couple of days because as soon as they get in the colony, that colony smells like her. That colony already has her pheromones everywhere. So it's only going to take them a day to really acclimate to those pheromones and understand this is how everything smells and get used to her. So you could put her in a cage for a couple of days 
and then release her again just straight back out onto the comb and that'll get you past that initial few hour period where things could go bad if you're worried about that being a, a potential thing and it's a you know the time of year where you don't want to lose a queen that's a, a scenario that you could go through and do yep it is a it is a, a feral queen but i'm not gonna really worry too much about it right now because uh i have some packages that are not as big as they should be that i could mix with them and put a a bot queen in with them but right now i just gonna mix uh the 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 colony with the small the the bunch with the uh the ones that we took out of the pipe in with another bunch and see what happens and then we'll go from there but uh we're getting some big big swarms right now i mean they we've got uh in the last uh two or three weeks uh, this swarm that uh, we got out of the bird bath was probably six, seven pounds of bees. I mean, it was a huge. It filled. Uh, when we put them in an eight frame, I imagine four to five frames of bees when you'd pull them out. They, they had already filled. And uh, big swarm. And that's the second one that we've had in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But last year, what's when we got our big swarms was in August. Yeah, that was when we had that whole what the hell's going on with all these crazy bees. <laughs> That's part of it. So we just keep playing, and I'm going to try. I, we will get the the extractor together. Uh, we'll open up that hive, see what how much we have left, and see if we ought to take it and be ours. Or just leave it for them. We'll see. Uh, if I leave it for them, and that way I don't have to feed them as, as much come this winter. And what else was I, I was sitting there thinking something. Well, mm -hmm. that that's debatable because if you leave it for them, and the summer dearth is long and drawn out, and they eat it all, then you're still going to have to feed them and and prep them up for winter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sound like a winner to me. What, what a winner or a winter? Winner. Winner. What are we going to do? I've got the long lane. Are we going to uh -huh. split or should I move one of those big swarms into it? And, no. Okay. Just, just keep it. Keep them in. Well, we... We had, uh, we had this conversation actually a few episodes back, but for like... For the long lang, you could do a split into it into the spring if you wanted to, but I would literally transfer one full-size colony into it. I remember, yep. Yeah. Just move it over there, set it in the same spot, set the colony off to the side, and transfer the whole thing into the long lang and call it good. Okay. Okay. We'll play with it. We'll get it all figured out. Max, we're busy with fishing and camps and all of that, and then having to do the bees too. So yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, we got uh, a lot going on up there right now. That's good. That's that's definitely good. So the uh, couple of little segues here. We will talk about long langs in the bonus episode this week. Um, because on on we'll put it on the Patreon bonus episode this week because there's uh 
I got an email communication from somebody and there was some interesting information about historical dig sites and finding long langs. And so I'll go through, we'll, we'll talk about that on the bonus segment, kind of get your thoughts on it. And then um, the other segue, you know, I mentioned forced absconds and not being able to get any comb and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of takes us over to our last little uh, listener question here from Rachel. And Rachel is one of our avid listeners and Patreon members from Australia. Yep. And uh, she's the the one that where she's, yeah, she's she's one of the ones that is uh, um, a lot like you, she says. She's, she's a lot like Ken in a lot of ways on the, how she does things. And she's gotten um oh so also australia so you know we're we're completely flip-flopped and australia is they're coming out of their winter oh that's right so yeah they're coming into spring now not just yet usually it is september october is kind of when they're officially there um but some parts of the country are already experiencing temperatures that are up there in that uh, 15.5 degrees Celsius range or like 60 and above for us in Fahrenheit. So things are slowly starting to kind of come back into cycle and everything for them. As we start to move towards fall, they're starting to move towards spring. So they're they're coming out of it in areas. Um, and she starts off by saying that uh, they feel lucky there where she's at because there's only coronavirus in hotel quarantines. There's no varroa mites and no hive beetles and no European fowl brood. So her area of Australia, she is is feeling very ecstatic and lucky because of all of these things. Now, she wants everybody to know, and she thinks that we will be very pleased, which I am very pleased with her on this. Um, she has enrolled herself in a proper industry beekeeping course that is going to be an eight-day course over a five-month period. Um, she doesn't want to be like commercial level, but she hates the feeling like she doesn't know enough. So she's going to actually do these actual courses. I don't know over there if they're going to be in person or not, because like here, everything is now via like via video conference and zoom and stuff because of the quarantines. But, um, but so congratulations on that, Rachel, thank you for letting us know. And, and so happy that you have found yourself some education and stuff there in Australia that will help you out. Um, her question though. Her main question is, when is it warm enough for the bees to draw out wax? And the reason that she asks is because she says she believes that she has been a bit overzealous, panicky, and neurotic and has overfed her bees throughout the winter. Um, She had a single 10-frame Langstroth box built up from an autumn nuke, and she was kind of doing front porch beekeeping, just looking in on it, but she was feeding them quite a bit. But she did finally open up the top last week, and she was going to put in more food, and she was like, oh, my God, there are a lot of bees in here. Um, In her area, it was supposed to get up to 21 degrees Celsius, which is greater than 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So she was planning on going through and taking a proper look to see really what was going on, but she's kind of getting worried that she may have overstimulated them and caused them to go into a potential swarm status earlier than they need to because if they swarm you know that colony may survive and live but the colony they leave behind won't because there's probably not drones out there for that new queen to go and mate with and and you know it can cause issues so she was concerned about that and she was wondering twofold one for these girls when can they start drawing out wax well the truth of it is if you're already above that 60 degree temperature range fahrenheit or above that 15.5 degree temperature range in celsius 
then it's already probably warm enough. And if you've been stimulating them, they've probably, as those new generations of bees go through and emerge, you know, a week and a half into that from them emerging as an adult, they start drawing out wax. So they're probably already doing it. They're probably already drawing some wax. And so what I suggested was if she's concerned about the space and things like that and concerned about crowding, go ahead and under super. So give them a new box of foundation, but put it underneath the existing box. And that way, if there are any temperature swings or if it dips down and gets really cold again, they're still in the uppermost box with all of the brood and all of the food is all up in that top box where the heat's gonna go to anyway. And then the bottom box down below them would be the same concept if you overwintered you know, a double deep and they started off in the bottom and then they slowly ate their way up to where they were in the top box by the end of winter. So it's the same concept. But this way, they've got the space down there below them. They can move down into that bottom box to spread themselves out and they can start drawing out wax down there to provide more space for them if they need it. So that was the suggestion with that. The second part of her questioning though is because she has three separate tree, tree, quote unquote, bee jobs that are lined up that she's been waiting on the, the weather and the temperature and stuff to get back to the right point to do. And one of them, she's gonna be able to open up with a chainsaw like you and Max did. It's already fallen over, so she can go through, split it open and open it up. Um, but the other two are going to have to be, and she uses the term forced abscond in here, and she's going to do a forced abscond and chase them out of there. Um, and she said, I know that when you do this, they don't have a shred of drawn comb. And like Ken, her artificial quote unquote better comb is uh, not been ordered or still in transit and unlikely to arrive anytime soon. So she's not exactly sure what she's gonna do because she doesn't have additional resources to provide this, the colony once she causes them to swarm out of there or to abscond out. So she's wondering, you know, what temperature will they start drawing out wax so that she can attempt these removals and be in a place where the bees can go through and hopefully, you know, start establishing and drawing out wax. So the, the main thing with it and what I did is I clarified with her the difference between a trap out and a forced abscond. Um, because that terminology could make a huge difference. She's done a trap out before on one of her friend's hives that was, um, it was in the postal box, the, the stone mailbox, right. and they did a trap out on it. So the difference there is when you do the trap out, you know, you seal up the entrance with a funnel that comes out and it narrows down to where one bee at a time can get out, but they can't get back in. And then you put another box or container that you want the bees to move into, mm -hmm. either attached to that or nearby it. Mm -hmm. And as the foragers leave, they can't get back in, so they go into the new box. Eventually, inside the colony, they don't ever have any new food coming back in, and the population's continually going down. So it, eventually, it's like a siege. You basically are starving them out and cutting off all their resources until they give up. And when they give up, what they're going to do is the queen and the rest of the bees will then abscond because they don't feel like it is any longer a good place to live. And when that happens, they come out and then they move into that box. Now, as you've discovered, the downside to that is that can take weeks to months. Yep. And the longer those bees that have been removed from the queen are in that other box, the higher the risk of them becoming laying workers. And if they do become laying workers... If the queen ever does come out, they may not accept her anymore because they've gone cuckoo over there. So there can be challenges with it. it it's definitely a slow process and it doesn't always work out. The forced abscond method is immediate. 
it starts and finishes on the same day. And you create an environment using smoke and certain essential oils to make the internal environment of the colony so unpleasant, basically, that they don't want to stay there. They think the house is on fire. There's these other fumes coming in there, and it chases them up and out their original opening. You can do the same concept where you've got the funnel, and it comes out and goes into a box, and and maybe there's a, a scrap of comb or something in there. And they'll all come and mass evacuate out of there and go into this other container or come out and you can scoop them up, you know, something like that. We use a vacuum so that we guarantee they can't be flying around and like land on a branch way up high in the air. Our funnel that comes out hooks into the vacuum hose and goes down into the containment unit. So we know we'll catch them. But the process starts and ends on the same day. And usually you can get everybody out of there and you can eventually get the queen out of there. And then you have this basic swarm that you can turn around and you can feed and then you can put into a box and put that queen excluder on there so she can't get out and feed them. And, you know, hopefully they will stay and they will start drawing out comb. Um, Getting them to stay can be a trick. Giving them something will help them out. But in either scenario, you're not always guaranteed that that queen's going to make it. She may not come out and you thought that she did, but she didn't. And you stop the whole process and seal up the tree, but she was still in there. Or you over-smoked or over-fumigated them, basically, and they died because they kind of suffocated or overheated. Um, You know, there's lots of things that can go wrong, just like there is with the trap-out method. But if your other colony, that tin frame that she had, is truly exploding with bees, you could sacrifice one frame that has eggs and larvae on it and put it over either way that you're doing it, into that other box so that that colony does have something to work with. Um, and again, if that 10 frame truly is strong and exploding, it's not going to hurt them. You just push everything back together and put your empty frame on one of the outer edges and call it good. Um, but that would be the different ways that you could go through and handle that scenario. I feel a little scatterbrained this morning. <laughs> and also be sure to do it on the, the uh, trap out I did. You know, I, I thought it would be 28 days before they went laying worker. It was 21. But now it could be different because our bees are, uh, their feral bees here have a little uh, African genetics. I don't know. Is it different? I don't know. But it's 21 days they had gone laying worker. Yeah, it's. Um, it really kind of just depends on... When you're doing the the trap out, I think one of the other things that affects it is the, so you've got the queen's pheromone that inhibits the growth and development of the ovaries and the other workers. And then you've got the brood pheromone, which tells them that there is a queen present and everything is going fine. And when you do a trap out, you're removing them from both. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same as having a colony, because if you've got a colony in there and you take away the queen, but there's still a whole slew of brood in both larva and capped stages, they still have pheromones from that. And I think that helps prolong that a little bit. Their ovaries may start developing after a week or two, but they don't get the urge to start laying because there's still brood there. So they still think everything's okay. Whereas when you do the trap out, there is no brood and there is no queen, so they have no pheromones whatsoever, and it might speed that process up a little bit. Kind of like a winner to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we'll go ahead and we'll wrap this main segment up for everybody this week. Um, it was, a, like I said, I feel a little scatterbrained, and it may have been a little scattered. It was it was some information about the summer to earth and then uh, some listener questions mixed in there. So um, hopefully you did find some in- interesting information that will help you out along the way in there. But we will we will be back with everybody next week with more goodies. And uh, I do have... Um, we have some other interviews that I've got in the works that will be fun, and uh, I'll just tease that there are other interviews at the moment. I'm not going to say who is, is going to be on the show just yet, but um, I've got a few things worked out that I think will be fun, so you'll hear more about that coming on down the road here in a few weeks, but until then, everybody out there, be good, be safe, and be healthy. Now, before you run off, though, i got to tell them one thing, where you're protection protective clothing right last year i had to do one uh, this time of year we went into one of our hives that i had that we had requeened but they were still a little testy uh when i velcroed my zippers down underneath my chin you know the one that goes down the front of your down your belly well, I didn't quite pull it down quite right. I didn't make it flat and attach all the way around to the Velcro. And I had these bees op- opened up, and uh, they were going into my gloves and stinging me. And then four of them found that a little hole in there around that Velcro. And here they go into there. Four of them got into my inside the, the suit with me and here I am standing out in the pasture hitting my head with my hands killing bees and still got stung anyway on top of the head so make sure everything is done right because these bees are testy you're a bear you're going after their honey and they want to kill you well um on that last little note there in when you are in a dearth and they're it's hot, everybody's miserable, everybody's cranky, and there's no incoming food, and there's no food out there in nature, your bees and their temperament and behavior will change. And even the friendliest, happiest colonies are going to have bad days, and they're going to be like, not today. You get away from here. This is our food. We worked hard for it. You can't have it. Um, And they may have been just the sweetest things ever while the nectar flow was going on, and they were building all that food and storing it. But now that it's there, and that's their only food source, they're going to be very cranky about it. So, yes, um, definitely, you know, be extra sweet to your bees at this time of year and wear your protective coverings always just in case. Yep. And be safe, be cool, and be healthy, family. There you go, everybody. Bye-bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.